Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Good morning, Fairview Church. I am so thankful. I'm thankful for your pastor, Brant, and uh, for his allowing me to come up here and to share this pulpit and share in this responsibility of, of delving into God's word. I'm thankful for each and every one of you and in, in the ways that you've poured into uh, my family and I's lives over the past year. Um, I thank God that we've formed the relationships that we have here, that so many of you have thought to take us uh, and, and treat us like family. And so uh, I just wanted to take a minute to, to, tank, to thank you for that. Um, this has been a, a, a different time in our life. I didn't share this in the earlier service, but you know, when, when our program was canceled in Texas, it seemed like everything had fallen away. And uh, we were faced with, um, with problems, really. I, I had been preparing for this degree and, and working towards this degree, and then it was snatched out from under me, and it felt like there was not even ground to stand on. And God was still faithful, and he brought us here, not just to Nashville, not just with a program, uh, but he brought us here to Fairview Church. And so God bless you guys. Uh, we're going to be looking today at John 4. And so if you'll turn in your scriptures, hopefully you have a copy of the scriptures with you. If not, a device that can access them or they'll be on the screen. Uh, we're going to be looking at the, the lady at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well today. And this is a, a pretty powerful passage, but it called to mind when I was studying this, uh, my excavations in Kazakhstan. And uh, we've got several projects that we're involved in throughout the world. And one of them is at a, a small rural village, uh, about 100 miles from the Chinese border, or excuse me, 30 miles from the Chinese border, 100 miles from literally the furthest away that you can get away from civilization in the world. <laughs> if that tells you anything, it's literally the middle of nowhere. And uh, this little town of, of Ely Balik. And the first year that we were there, we stayed in this place and it was not a, a nice place. I mean, I, it was one of the worst places I've ever stayed, truly. Uh, the, the house was, was just a, a mud brick home, uh, similar to what people have been building for thousands of years. Uh, the floor was a dirt floor. We were sleeping on a dirt floor. I thought I was better than that. And, and I brought a, a hammock and I set a tree, set it out in a tree and went to sleep. And I woke up and a cow was eating my arm. And, uh, you know, um, but what part of the process every day, we get up and we on site right at, at, at sunrise, you know, and uh, we, we get there and we work all day in the heat of the day. And, and then we would come back and we would get a shower, which was a process because there's no running water. And uh, I had bought a camp shower that first year and uh, we'd have to take this long trek about a mile and a half, two miles to go to get water from the well. There was no running water. And so this was a part of our every day. And every day we would go and get drinking water. We would store some in the shade so that it'd be cool for drinking. We'd store other water out in the sun uh, to where it would heat up. And that was for the next day's showers so we didn't freeze to death when we got in. 
Uh, and this time of the day was a time that we kind of began to, to really, you know, see as a time of, of time of fellowship. We would go together, three or four of us guys, you know, and you, you, the, the walk there is really easy. And then you get these heavy jugs of water and you like noodle armed coming back. But here's the thing. We're, we're communicating with one another. We're fellowshipping. We're waiting until a time of the day where it's cool. And uh, when we look at this text in John 4, it's not what we find. I want you to recognize first and foremost that this woman is coming to the well. She's first of all by herself. Uh, she's a woman tasked with carrying these heavy water pots. She's coming during the hottest parts of the day. This tells us that not only is she a part of the Samaritan people who are an outcast as an entire people among the Jews, but she's also personally an outcast within her own uh, culture and her own society. So uh, she's coming to this well and she's broken. And what I want to talk to you first and foremost today is about God in our brokenness. Now this is a good uh, Baptist sermon, three points. Uh, and those points uh, are one, that John is telling the reader that those who count themselves as the people of God do not know him, but that the outcast from a shunned people group does. So this is right on the coattails of what we talked about last week. Uh, Pastor Brandt uh, spoke through uh, John 3 and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is this, you know, this pivotal figure, this, this religious leader of his time. And he comes to Jesus at night and he can't, he can't fathom who Jesus is in his fullness, but he addresses him as rabbi. He recognizes something about Jesus. This character is different and I need to go find out for myself. And so here is this religious leader of his day and he can't see Jesus for who he really is, for the Messiah that he is. But right on the coattails, God, uh, John gives us this message about this Samaritan woman. And I want you to understand, first point, that, that God is telling us, basically, the people who were supposed to understand, who were supposed to get it, they missed it. And the people who were broken, and the people who were most in need, and the people who everyone else had overlooked... That Jesus went right to them and they received him. The second point that I want to, to show you in this text is the responses of this woman because they typify the human experience. There's two responses that she gives. The first one uh, seems to say that she is expecting worldly answers to spiritual problems. How many of us want fulfillment and we want something to be able to say, uh, you know, our time on here, on this, this land was worth it. And we, we think for a moment that that's going to be found in our possessions or in our work or in our hobbies or in anything else. We're trying to offer worldly wisdom to spiritual problems. The second thing that she does is she offers a diversion from the truth that hits too near to home. God speaks to us and it's not always it's not always easy. These truths that we get from the scripture, they, they delve into the innermost parts of our soul. And when they get there, uh, it can leave us wrecked. And it's very easy to say, I know what you're saying, God, but I've got something else going on. And I'm just going to have to focus on this over here because I can't deal with these hard truths. 
Now, the third point, I know I've snuck in an extra point because I had point two was A and B. Uh, The third point was that the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman, it didn't stop with her, right? The first thing that she did when she found out about Jesus, she was so overwhelmed with excitement, she had to go and tell everybody what she had seen and, and done and what Jesus had said to her. And that's the proper response to the gospel. You see, we talk about the things that excite us. The scriptures tell us, from the treasures of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. That's what that's saying. And some of you are going, man, I've heard the things that come out of my mouth. Ooh, I'm saying that. So in our text here, I would ask that you would rise in honor of the reading, if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking today at John 4, 1 through 30. It says there in John 4, 1 through 30, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a city in Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour of the day. Therefore, uh, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, 
I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. And yet no one said, what do you seek? What, uh, what, why do you speak with her? And so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and for what it means to our lives. We ask that you would make it real to us. Make your word alive. Make it speak to us, God. We invite you here, Lord, as we did. Uh, We invite you now, God, to be able to illuminate your word. God, we so desperately need the correction from your word to best model you and to best reflect your image and to best serve you, God. And so we praise you, Lord. We praise you, uh, but we ask you, Lord. We plead with, with you, Lord. Please come. Please come. Amen. You may be seated. Guys, if you can't read this passage and it sting a little bit, you're not reading it right. Can I just say that? The word is, is, is like this, this kind of instrument. It delves into us and it, it should pull out the godly nature of us. And yet, so often we're accustomed to reading Uh, Like Ben Stein, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making. And this is the way that we do, though. There's no no life in it. And I want you to understand that, that this message is not just for this woman. It's for you sitting here today. 2,000 years later, we're still reading this same message that Jesus spoke. And it's pertinent to our lives. Now... It says there in verse one, it says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. So Brent and I had lunch yesterday and we were talking through this passage a little bit. And one thing that struck out to us is you have these, these religious elites that, that the authority of the day, uh uh-oh. The authority of the day was vested by Rome into religious elites, namely the Herods, and that these Herods, uh, had uh, specifically Herod the Great, had built up the Temple Mount. And this Temple Mount was a wonder of the ancient world, and people would just take pilgrimages, not just Jews, but all people, would come here and, and see this mountain, literally, that Herod the Great had moved to create the Jewish temple. And, uh, you know... Here is the religious authority is centered around this temple. And then here comes John. He's this guy out in the wilderness. And it's really a challenge. It's a challenge to the religious authority of the day that he's not worshiping and and calling people to the temple. He's calling them to the wilderness. And basically he's speaking that on them. He's saying to them, you think that you're in the temple. You think that you're in the promised age, but you're not. You're not in that age. You're in the wilderness. And so I will call you to the wilderness. And now that's as a challenge to the, to the religious authorities of the day. Now they see Jesus and Jesus comes into the scene and in this first part of the passage, it tells us that, that they are seeing and they're even more threatened by what Jesus is doing because more people are being converted than John even converted by Jesus. And so that when they, the, they heard this and they saw that he was baptizing more disciples than John, uh, they were threatened. And let me tell you, Jesus was not baptizing, as, as Brant mentioned last week, 
Uh, as Paul mentions in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 through 15, he, he tells them, he's like, I'm thank God that I didn't baptize all you people. He's like, because you would, if they, if they were baptized by Jesus, can you imagine the authority? The ego that that would create in, in a fleshly man to say, I was baptized by Jesus. He would just seize the power and he would say, you all have to listen to me. This would be like the perfect formula for the Antichrist, right? So here, look, Jesus is not baptizing. The Jewish authorities, they're, they're threatened. And so to get away from them, it says that Jesus left Judea and went down again into the Galilee. Now, that down is down from Jerusalem. It's an elevation. Uh, Galilee is actually north. Uh, but so Jesus is in town as uh, chapter 3, verse 13 uh, says that, that he's come into uh, Jerusalem for the Passover. Now it's time to go back. The, the Passover is over. Now, uh, it's important to recognize these Passovers in John because this is how we get to Christ's three-year ministry. We can see the cycle of the, the festivals. But in verse uh, 4, it says, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, he didn't have to pass through Samaria. But I guess for this to play to fruition, he had to pass through Samaria. Uh, but the typical thing was that Jews would cross over the Jordan into Perea. In this town of Perea, they would kind of hoop back around the area of Samaria. And they would come back into the Galilee region. Because these people, the Samaritans, were outcasts. They were really the, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel that had been uh, destroyed in 702 B.C., uh, they had fallen, and, and the ones that were left had interbred with, with the Canaanite tribes in the area and the, the uh, peoples, the Assyrians and other people who had, had begun indwelling the lands. And so because they were a, a basically a mixed breed or bad blood, they had no affiliation with the Jews. And because they were outcasts, they started to form their own cultic activities. They, they believed, for instance, as the woman thought, you know, that they should worship on that mountain and not on the Temple Mount. And so, when we get to this passage, Jesus is coming through the land of Samaria. And so it says in verse 5, He came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, some uh, scholars have tried to compare this to Shechem in the Old Testament. They say that there's, the transliteration there is, is that Shechem becomes Sychar. Uh, and Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was the sixth hour. Now, we don't know, for instance, uh, whether it was the sixth hour by Jewish reckoning, which began at 6 a.m., meaning that it was noon, or by Roman, where the day began at noon, and then that would make it 6 p.m. But either way, they're coming, she's coming in the hottest part of the day to come to the well to get water. This is not ideal, folks, especially not in the Middle East. Uh, we were visiting Masada a couple of years ago and they said a priest had a vision and, and it led him out into the desert and he died. He, he got too hot and uh, had no water and, and it doesn't take long when you're talking about that kind of heat. Uh, but this woman is coming uh, to get water in the middle of the day. She's coming alone. She doesn't have friends. She's a social outcast. And we find out in the text why. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, I want you to recognize that Jesus is basically calling your mind back or calling back the mind of the reader to Genesis 24 when Abraham sends his servant to find a bride for Isaac. And he goes back into the land of his people because the people where he's dwelling are, are not good, right? And so here's the thing. 
there's almost this kind of picture in the text of Jesus saying, I am going away from the people where I was because they are not of God. And I'm coming to the land of the people that are not supposed to be good uh, because these are where my people are to be found. And, and it's this kind of, it stands everything that we know on its head, right? It's this same kind of idea of, of John going to the wilderness versus the temple. It's the same thing reiterated throughout this passage and throughout the gospel of John. And so here he says, uh, give me a drink, uh, because that's exactly what the servant said in, in Genesis, that he was to go and say, if you'll take your cup and, and whoever God says uh, and dips water with their cup and gives me water, that will be the one that I will know will be the bride. Okay, And so Jesus is looking for a bride too, right? I don't want to draw too much into this, but, but Colossians does say that, that he is kind of the headship and, and, and throughout the epistles, the church is described as the bride of Christ. And so he is finding the bride. Okay, and so he goes and says, uh, he said, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So he was his long, alone as well. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. As a matter of fact, rabbinic literature tells us that if someone interacted with a a, a Samaritan, that they would be ceremonially unclean. Uh, So even more, they don't don't have it because they're an abomination, truly. Uh, And then he says, uh, he says, Jesus answered her and said to her, if you knew the gifts of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have said and given to you living water. Now, uh, I'm sure Brant will be talking about in John 7, the living water passages. This is a theme again throughout John. Um, But here it is. Here's Jesus saying, this woman comes and she's thirsty. She's thirsty and she's come to get water. And he says, give me water. She doesn't understand. She doesn't understand what he's saying to her because he's speaking on another level, right? In a different language, really. And uh, she's saying uh, that, that this well is going to fulfill, but he has nothing to draw with. And he's saying, your well is not going to fulfill. Your well is not sufficient. Because she's counting on this well that Jacob provided, just like the Jews are counting on the temple that Solomon provided And the answers aren't in any of them. How do we draw this into our own lives? You see, God has put this hole in you, into your very being. And I I may have even told you this before. God puts this hole into your being and, and it's only for him. And it's only filled by him. And you can take all these things, you can take your, your religious practices and you can throw them in there and they won't fill it. I'm gonna pray 14 times a day and I'm gonna be the most holy person on my block. It won't fill the hole. You can take your job and you can say, you know, the world defines success. It says that, you know, by worldly standards, uh, these people who are billionaires and are getting to live according to their own wills, that they're fulfilled, but they're not. They're not fulfilled because that, that never fills it either. He's saying to her, basically, you're thirsty for something that you're not going to get anywhere else. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? She doesn't understand. 
So you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and of his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them shall never thirst. But the water that I will give them shall become in them a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. And here is when it comes. He recognizes this. Jesus, long beforehand, recognizes that this woman is trying to fill this hole. And he says, woman, go call call your husband and come here. And the woman said and answered to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are correct to say I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. You can take people as this woman did. And you can try to fit them into that God hole. You see, this woman was trying to think, look, if I could just find the right man, we'd have a beautiful family. Everything would be good with us. He would take care of me. She's trying to put, just force a person into this God-shaped hole. And it doesn't fit. And it hasn't fit. And it hasn't fit again. And it hasn't fit again. Five times she's been married and five times she's been separated from her husband because she's trying to fill something in herself that can only be filled by God. She's trying to offer worldly answers to spiritual problems. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet Here's her next tactic. And this is what we do too. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Distraction. Jesus just gave her truth. Jesus just spoke into her life. Into her life. And, and she even recognizes and says, you're a prophet. I know who you are. Something in, in what he's saying in his word tells her inexplicably that that. He is a prophet, but that's dangerous. That's scary because now we've got this confrontation with truth, right? What is truth? Where is the living water? Where do I go to not be? And all of a sudden she's worried about what mountain she's going to worship on. No, 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 no. Diversion, diversion, diversion. And it's what we do too, right? God calls us to ministry here. He goes and he says, look, I've placed this authority. I've, I've placed you under my authority and, and I'm telling you to go out into the world. I'm telling you to go fulfill the great commission, to go to the ends of the earth, to share my name, to make disciples of all nations. I'm telling you to be a minister and a disciple maker where you are in your own Judea and you're not doing it. We're not doing it. We're failing. We're failing. And a lot of times, it's because we got excuses. I can't do that. My child has gymnastics. My child has football. I have to just go to a football game or a concert. I have to go work a little harder because I got to pay for this boat that I saddled myself with. If you get a boat, the best two days of getting a boat are the day you get it and the day you sell it. These are distractions, right? We're here for a little bit, a little bit of time in the grand scheme of things, just a breath, a vapor, and then we're gone forever. And we busy ourselves, not with the workings of the Father, but with our own 
pitiful yearning for things that have no eternal significance. This woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say, that is Mount Gerizim, by the way, uh, you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me when I say the hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship your father. Now, when is that hour coming? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is. It's now. The hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. You see, there's this idea of the spirit that, that he's building in here and, and the, the living water and the comparisons between uh, the, the Hebrew Mayim and Shemayim and the, the, the comparisons between the waters above and the waters below and the, the, the idea, this idea of him building us up from the dust and breathing his spirit into us. Now he speaks this spirit into us, God does, and, and we have this spirit in us. You see, and when God sees that we are using this spirit, we're possessing this spirit, but we're not using it to his glory and his, his ultimate placing ourselves under his authority, of course he's angry. He's given us the, the, the ability to be able to, to chase interests and to love and to, to be able to enjoy life and all the good things, but then he also gave us this spirit, that thing which we are made in his image is, is his spirit in us, the only part of us that's holy enough to interact with him because it's from him, and, and we take this, this thing and we, we make it idle, I-D-L-E, not I-D-O-L, we make it idle, and instead we chase our own passions. And Jesus is saying here to this woman and to you today, he's saying the time is now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's time to quit with the falsehoods. It's time to quit with the vain pursuits. It's time to relinquish our spirit to the one who gave it. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If you're not doing this, you are in direct affront to the scriptures. Must, must. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. And then when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus is about to fire a shot because he says to her, I who speak to you am he. How's that for authority? Wow. Wow. He's not just a prophet. He's the Messiah. At this point, the disciples come in. Hey guys, how's it going? We got the bread. (laughs) And they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Here's the thing. I pointed this out in our early service too. This gospel is written from the perspective of John. Who's not there in this whole narrative? 
John. Where is John? He's a disciple. So assumedly, he's where? He's in town. What does John write about? Does he write about this great ministry that they had in this town when they go in to get food? No. No, he doesn't. Because they didn't do anything. They just went to get bread. They went to get temporary sustenance. And Jesus is concentrated on the eternal. He says, look, I got food you don't know about. But then they come back and they're surprised that he's talking to a woman. They're like, what's he doing? What is Jesus up to now? They can't believe it, that Jesus would be about his father's business and they've been walking with him all this time. He's busy all the time. And now they're stunned. They're stunned because their expectation of Jesus is that he's going to be someone who continues to push the envelope, but also that he's going to be someone who at least recognizes his own holiness as God, right? And yet, that's not in the text because Jesus continually goes to the least. And I'm thankful for it because I am the least. In her response, she says, at this point, the disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman and yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? And so the woman left her water pot. She said, this water is not going to fulfill. She left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? And we have to go down to verse 39 to see their response. It says there, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. Now, here's the thing. I said it before, I'll say it again to reiterate this final point. When this woman heard the thing that saved her, that filled her, that that cured that, that thirst that she had had for so long, her natural response out of her excitement was she had to go tell someone. Now, I know you all get excited about something, but ask yourself, when was the last time that excitement was about the gospel or about what God's done for you? Because here's the thing, if you are worshiping in spirit and in truth, then you're going to be excited about what God is doing in your life. And when you're excited, well, out of the treasures of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you don't find yourself carrying the gospel into your week, it's time to start questioning whether you're worshiping in spirit and truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord, that you've gotten ordained that we would delve into your word. God, I pray that your word would be like an arrow that strikes those who need it most but like a cool glass of water that quenches those who come. God, let your living water rain down. Let there be true revival. God, we love you. And it's for this purpose that you have built us and called us that we would love you, but that we would honor you. And so God, I pray for this church. In our absence, Lord, let your spirit explode into the city and the surrounding areas and to the end of the earth. Let me hear on the other end of the planet 
what Fairview Church is doing in their community, God. I love you. And these people love you. God, let it not be another routine. We don't need any more religiosity. We just need to worship in spirit and truth, the holy God and Father of the universe. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Dot org.